Yes, it's that time of year again. Of course, we love WKRP all year long, but especially now as we get closer to Thanksgiving and recall that incredibly funny episode. Did you know we have five different WKRP designs, including three different turkey drop-inspired ones? Simply go to CincyShirts.com and type WKRP into the search bar and have a look. Use the promo code at the end of this episode to save 20% on your entire order online or in-store. Now, on with the show. WKRP in Cincinnati. This is WCPO-FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 189. Today on our show, filmmaker Cam Miller. And I say, right here, Mr. Gresky, if you look right here to your right, the 1975 trophy is right next to the 1976 trophy in the trophy room. And I'm just, and he stops me and says, oh, that's great. I like these guys over here on the wall that, you know, in the background. And he wants to talk about those little guys that nobody talks about and the moments. He doesn't care about the championship. And he says to me, baseball is great because of the moment. He's a Reds and Star Wars fan. Uh, were he and Josh separated at birth? Cam is also a filmmaker. We discuss all three subjects in this episode. Also, Josh and Cam find out they have another odd connection. Yes, Josh joining us for this episode. So stay tuned. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen to that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to Cam Miller. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from the INCINNATI. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. I was telling Josh when we were waiting for you to sign on there that uh, you came to me by the attention of my friend Kim, who is a massive Reds fan, and she goes, You need to have this guy on the podcast. So uh, I looked you up, and I thought, man, you and Josh might have been separated at birth. Massive Reds fans and Star Wars? (laughs) I mean, seriously, how is it? I mean, we have to. We were probably at the same screening of Return of the Jedi in 1983 at the uh, Florence Cinemas. My dad took us, and he had just had a vasectomy. So my memory of that is him holding an ice bag on his lap the entire movie. (laughs) But nonetheless. I don't. I I don't remember what theater I saw it in. I thought it was actually at the one in Norwood because that was close to our house. I I feel like that's where they may have had multiple screenings. Now, how did you end up at that screening? I don't remember the details. I remember. I mean, I saw Star Wars: A New Hope downtown. My dad took me, and I remember specifically. This was. When it came back, so this would have been 1978 or 9, probably 9, when it came back into theaters because it was so successful in 79, they replayed it leading up to, of course, Empire. So it was on all, all the streams. And I remember we went and we walked over the Skywalk. And I was like, Skywalk? Skywalker? There's a connection here somehow. I don't know what it is, but this is freaking awesome. And, of course, I saw that, and that's when I fell in love, 7980. And then, of course, Empire comes out. And my dad worked at Cincinnati Millicron, so he used to, which was right next door to Kenner, and he knew some people. Oh, 
<laughs> so, yeah, it was always this really cool relationship. And, of course, Cincinnati Millicron made robots, robotics for, that made cars. And I remember they had these sword fights to the Star Wars music with these programmed robots. And I thought it was the coolest thing of all time. Just so cool to see. And, of course, Return of Jedi comes out and we had that screening. And my dad was just miserable. But he took us four Miller boys. And I passed on that love to my sons in 99 and Phantom Menace and the lots came out. So still doing it, still loving it. Every, That's how it day. works. That's it, man. It's a tradition, family tradition. So did, like PF, did PF tell you my bat, like why I was there? No, Is, no. Okay. So my dad was a model maker for Kenner. That's, see, we were separated. <laughs> right? We were this is crazy. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so he uh, he was a machinist and model maker from, I want to say, 70, 79 through, like, 92. That's awesome. And uh, that was the first one. I don't, if I was taken to Empire Strikes Back in the theater, I don't remember it. Right. Because I was born in 77. But I distinctly remember seeing Return of the Jedi before all of my friends. You know, I had all the toys, obviously. Right, course, yeah. I had a lot of stuff that, you know, at the time I didn't know what it was worth because to them it was garbage. <laughs> right, right. You know, he would bring home the models of stuff that they were making adjustments to, and then that's what I would play with. Right. Not knowing that one day those would be worth more than the actual toys brand yeah. new in the box. <laughs> right, right. So funny. Yeah, but same thing, you know, just a lifelong fan. It's kind of woven into my DNA at this point. And then yeah. Uh, I've passed that on to my kids and, you know, my wife, her family, specifically her brother's big Star Wars fan. So she's she's bought in as well. And, yeah, it's, uh, and it's not it's not something that you like. It's something that you're obsessed with. I mean, there's people like Marvel, people like DC, people like that stuff. That's great. But there is something different about the Star Wars universe that once you're in, it's 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 like the mob. You're in. I mean, for life. And there's there's no going back. Hundred percent. I mean, and and I do believe Marvel will get there. Oh, no question. When yeah. when like my kids are my age. Yep. Exactly. Because I think what it centers around is like being at an age and walking into a movie theater and seeing things that are like just f feel like they're impossible that right. someone could have created that. Right. And I and I think that 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 is provided to kids now through Star Wars and Marvel, but they'll have. If, if you can't you can't be our age and have that kind of affinity to it unless right. you grew up a huge comic book person which right. uh was not not nearly as as popular as being a star wars fan right and i and i really i got lucky a few years ago when the last jedi came out i knew a guy that knew a guy that knew a guy that had a looking for some artwork for the premiere and i ended up doing a piece of rose it was a rose sketch yeah that i quickly did and it was in the background when they would snap the pictures of the red carpet so they would have these art pieces up of different i guess it was like fans different people that had different artists that had uh sent things and i remember it was cool that rose got was in front of it and it showed my artwork in the back of cam miller's scribble in the right hand corner but there was something cooler about all of the other actors stopping, and then you know Mark Hamill, Harris. I mean, all these people are yeah. coming by and stopping to get that picture. And I, I must have taken like 725 uh, screenshots of that premiere. I got my cell phone up on the monitor on the laptop, just taking shots. This will never happen again the rest of my life. I'm going to shoot this video. So 
that was a really cool moment. Like, I mean, of course, you know, it's a, it's a blip in time, just that little a blip of them walking past it, stopping for photos and my artwork in the background. But I will never, ever, ever forget that. Such a cool moment. There's just something different yep. about Star Wars and honestly, the Reds. Those right. are the two things that like certain things transport me instantly back to being a child. Oh, no yeah. question. No question. And there's something magical about that that I'm afraid. Now, we can't speak for what our kids and grandkids and great and grandkids are going to experience later. But I, I hope that they get to experience what we experience. I mean, when you see a trailer for a movie that you have no idea if it's going to be good or bad, but you know it's Star Wars and you have this unbelievable hope that this hype and this, this, this the, the reaction that you have. I mean, I remember watching Force Awakens, the hype leading up to that. And then that first trailer came out. I'm in tears yeah. at a Monday night football game halftime. And I'm sitting there just wiping my tears away. Like, and I have no idea what, why, I mean, I know why sure. because of the Star Wars connection, but there's no reason for an adult man to sit there <laughs> with his kids who are now older, obviously, and watching this and just bawling at this teaser trailer. It just, and there's nothing else that compares that. And I do hope that our kids get that, Maybe in 25 years, 20 years, whatever they when they decide to bring back Finn, Poe, and Ray and the characters, and right. they have that you know, the characters are back in this new Skywalker saga, which I you know they will. I mean, money talks for right? sure, <laughs> but yeah, I just hope that our kids and you know get that experience because there's just nothing like it. I mean, it is a visceral, it's a moving out of body yep. experience. Yep, and uh, it's funny you say that. I was at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim. Oh we were in the front row when that was that the first teaser was debuted. Jeez. Um, and the whole like cast, like Daisy and all of them that were there, they came out from behind the stage to, to basically right next to us. Cause they hadn't, they hadn't seen the trailer for the first time. And it was the one, the, the one that ended with, uh, you know, uh, Han and Chewie saying, you know, we're home. Right. Chewie, we're home. Yep. It was Amazing. crazy. It I was can't even like, imagine. like the like that's vibe. like the World Series last out at <laughs> yeah. Great American Ballpark type of volume. The deafness. I I mean, well, I watched it on my laptop streaming. I remember it was one of those things where I had a Reds project I was working on, and I had to pause that because I was not going to miss the seventeen straight hours of sitting in front of my laptop watching. <laughs> no, no reason to do it, but you never know what you're going to see. You knew the channel yeah. was coming, so you know that. But every little interview, every little side story they would have where they're showing these things that I'll never be able to afford to buy. Look, here's a $7,000 Darth Vader uh, costume. You can, I mean, all of the things that go along yeah. with that streaming show. <laughs> but just sitting there and watching it in its entirety was just and, – and again, nothing – I don't think in my lifetime – I mean, who knows? what? Now that we've been down the road after this new, new Star, Wars, Star Wars movies have come out, I don't think anything will lead up to that 2012, 2013 when Disney buys it to 2015. That hype right there – was just so unbelievably incredible. Yeah. I think even bigger than the Phantom Menace because of the fact of the technology where you can follow on Twitter, where you can follow on the web stream, where you can just, it, and sharing it with my kids, that moment, everything, the marketing, everything along with that was just one of those capsules in time, just this unbelievable moment that, again, I hope that my kids and, and my grandkids get to have that experience. But I can't imagine being in the crowd for that. I mean, just to be around people for that would, yeah. that would be amazing. Yeah, not not even just people, but like, you know, the the hardest of the hardcore fans that had managed to like get into the building, and uh, my brother in law had 
just really great luck with getting the Jedi Master like VIP tickets that at that time they weren't that much more. I mean, they were a couple hundred dollars more, but we learned quickly that if you got into the showroom 45 minutes before everybody else that you could buy enough of the like exclusives to flip on eBay and pay for your expensive ticket. And the real draw (laughs) of the expensive ticket was you got, reserve seating so that's how we were in the front row for that you know it's just like you said the technology alone like i think just having any type of star wars content was enough for people to get fired up and and create that reaction but then like when they roll bb-8 out for the first time and you're just like how am i like you know like you see it in the in the little clip that they teased it with right and you're like, you know, clearly that's CGI because there's no way that the head could stay still while the ball rolls right. underneath it. Exactly. And then they're like, come on out, BB-8. And then the <laughs> thing like rolls out onto the stage and you're just like, your mind is blown. Even as like a, you know, like a 35 year old dude, you're just like, how am I <laughs> seeing this? Like, how am I getting that same vibe, you know, that, that is the same reaction as this eight-year-old next to me right and that's just that's what it does and pf if you want to go and we can do a reds podcast later we (laughs) and i are just going to talk star wars for the next should bring uh bring my daughter liza down here for this uh i showed her an episode of star trek and she was not impressed and then i showed i showed her a new hope and she was hooked oh great i love it i love to hear that yep so i don't know where i went wrong but uh (laughs) <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Star Trek, uh, Star Trek folks like me are, love Star Wars, but I don't think right. the reverse is always true. That's I, yeah, see, that's that's, I, that's the thing. I, and I can usually pin people down to be one or the other. I don't know if anybody. Can I tell that you why I think equally. it is? This is just my opinion. Yes, it's that when I was presented with both of them at the same time, Star Wars to me was like. The production was incredible. The acting was incredible. Like, like I was like literally taken out of reality watching it. And when I, the little bit of Star Trek that I was exposed to at that age, it felt like, oh, you know, like the classic like overacting. I, of I can see Shatner, that people, and, and you make a good point didn't though. Is cool. The effects weren't as cool, yeah. and I felt like I. In my at least in my brain at that point in my life, um, I couldn't love both. Oh, that's a fair play. It was play. like an easy yeah, choice. Yeah, that's a fair okay. play because you're watching a, something that was ten years older. See, I came in to, with Star Trek, and I didn't get to Star Wars until like, several years later. But I was very excited for it. And weirdly, I don't know if this is typical of the Star Wars fandom. A lot, some people in the Star Wars fandom are kind of like, "Oh, well, New Hope doesn't hold up for well." I think it holds up great. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I'd have, I, mean, I have no problems with the New Hope. I love that film. I'll defend the prequels. I'll defend the last three movies. Prequels, I'm a little come out with a little rough. I, I firmly believe, and Cam kind of alluded to it a minute yeah. ago. I firmly, firmly believe that my kids will look back and Ray, Finn, Poe, yeah. Kylo. That is their Leia, Luke. Yep. Yes, Han, oh for sure, Vader for sure. sure. And Although that's why they created, and that's why J.J. Abrams it's such he did such a masterful job of. He knew he had to kind of weave in the, the classic characters and then kind of gracefully make them exit so that he could give more screen time to those characters because that the people that are going to be paying attention to that, we're going to be gone. It's going to be the next generation, and you need those characters to survive. But another thing, speaking of Star Trek, I always thought of Star Trek as the adult Star Wars. My dad made me watch it, and I watched <laughs> it, and I was like, this is an adult version 
where you get all these this dialogue and how it is almost to a of course Star Wars is political, but it was this political thing that went on that I didn't understand as a child, but I knew my dad appreciated and it was more adult. I got into it a little bit as an adult, like I understood it. I wasn't into it into it, but I understood it more as I grew up to be an adult. Star Wars from Jump Street for me, five years old to 47 years old. It is what it is. And it stands, no offense to Star Trek, I think it's, some people absolutely adore it. And there's Trekkies that I am good friends with. But there's something adult about it. That's cool. But it's just, it's that adult thing that you're not going to get people to, you have to have a certain flavor, a certain love for science fiction to be a Star Trek fan. But you have a certain flavor and love as a fantasy person to enjoy mm. Star Wars. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that's a very good point. And the way J.J. Abrams did Star Trek, like I, I was right. much more on board with that because oh, it yes. felt like Star Wars to me. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I, th- I will also say that having a dad that worked at Kenner sort of led me down paths uh, or prevented me from going down other paths hmm. that a lot of my friends went down right. because I was sort of married to anything that Kenner did. So like I liked Transformers, but I liked Mask more because there was the, <laughs> the cartoon that Kenner right. made the toys for, you know, right. I never had a Nintendo. I had a Sega because Tonka <laughs> owned Sega when they right. bought Kenner. So it was just like, there were certain things that I, I didn't have GI Joe's. I didn't have toys made by other toy companies because hmm. it was, we were such a Kenner household. And that'd so be like a, that'd be like a kid uh, having Cardinals paraphernalia and gear in a Reds household. You oh, just I can't, can't do even, that. Uh, it makes, gives me the willies just talking about <laughs> what are we doing? Well, we could talk star Wars all day. And if we come back to it, I will not be upset about it, but, <laughs> but we also share a, a huge uh, mutual love for the Reds. What kind of memories do you have of, of being introduced to the Reds and, and uh, becoming a fan at an early age? It's, it's amazing that um, I look back now, because now I do work for the Reds, it's, it's amazing that if you would have told me when I was five years old walking into, I just recently uh, wrote a poetry book about my baseball love in the 80s, and it's, called, it's called Magic on the Majestic Green, and it was going into... Riverfront Stadium for the first time, not knowing I was going to Riverfront Stadium, not understanding the concept of Riverfront Stadium or the concept of baseball in general. And the first time you go up those escalators and you hear that recorded loop message and you walk on the squishy rubber in between the concrete and then you get to the opening and you walk in and you see this unbelievable green carpet, the greenest carpet you have ever seen in (laughs) your life. And it just, besides the smells and the sounds, and the baseball game was secondary. I mean, I'm five, six years old. It was the experience of going to Riverfront, knowing that this was a place like the Roman Coliseum. Champions were made here. And, of course, growing up in that post, really post, Big Red Machine era of 78, 79, going to my first game, 1980, before, yeah. you know, the heartbreak of the 80s. And, <laughs> and it was, it, there was just something, that that experience for me made me, a fan. The experience made me a fan of baseball before I knew what baseball was, which I don't know if that happens often, but I think Riverfront Stadium, being the concrete bowl that it was, and understanding the aesthetics are not as pleasing as Crosley Field was, being able to experience that, just that experience alone, looking back now as somebody that works and does work for the Reds, is, is something that I think gives me a, a deeper appreciation. Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to you know, the, the age that you were when you see it for the first time that you, that it 
gets that kind of reaction from you. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a couple years younger than you, but not by much. And, you know, part of me worries that, that I spoil my kids by taking them to too many Reds games, because part of the memories that I have was like how much of a special event it was to just go to one. Right. You know, so I, I, I constantly have that balance in my head of trying to figure out what is the right amount, you know, is there too much, <laughs> too many right. trips to the ballpark that it won't feel as special. And, you know, when they're older, but the same thing, you know, my dad, he would get tickets or, or I would get tickets for good grades, like maybe once a year, he was always in charge of planning a trip for our church to go. So like one, you know, he was, they tried to usually do like a, a double header against the Dodgers on a Saturday. And, you know, it was like, a, it was like a big deal whenever we went two, maybe three times a year on a good year. Uh, I remember him coming home, uh, coming home from school one day in 1990 and seeing World Series Game 6 tickets hanging mm. on the fridge that oh. he had stood in line for to get. And, of wow. course, the game never happened. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, like, there's so many little things. And you're exactly right, dude. I couldn't tell you. I, cu- I couldn't tell you the first game I went to. I don't have a memory of it. I don't have a memory of, like, any outcomes of any games it was just the experience and the memory of being there and just like going up that escalator finding your seat seeing if maybe by the fifth inning you could sneak down into the right right the green seats or something you know from from up top in the red you know just like little memories like that that stick with me way more than anything that happened onto the field you know collecting baseball cards and having no idea if I'd ever seen that person play or not just this past Saturday, September 11th. I remember, you know, people talking about Pete Rose's, obviously there's other things people are talking about for September 11th, but one of them that always comes up every year is that's the day Pete Rose broke the record. And people have that discussion around here of like, where were you when he broke the record? I remember my dad yanking me out of the bathtub and putting my robe on and sitting me in front of the TV saying, if he does it, I want you to be able to say you saw it. I remember it. You know, I was eight years old, but I remember it. And it's little moments like that that are just like, they just attach to one another leading up to my adulthood where I'm like super fan, you know, but it wasn't like I was there every day or there 15 times a year. It's just these little things that string together that, build up the fandom over the course of, of decades. And, and you have this love for it that takes you back to those days. It's absolutely true. And you hit the nail on the head there. And it's something that I wanted to touch on. And we could talk about my work working for the Reds later if you'd like, but I, I'll kind of touch on it here. I was working as an ambassador at the Hall of Fame in 2005 when they just had opened. And Wayne Gretzky comes in with his family and an entourage. And it's a random Wednesday, and there's nothing going on. Of course, the 2005 team, I mean, it is what it is. You know, it was late in the season, and we're sitting at the front office there, and it's like, okay, another game. Let's just get – you're looking at your watch. When do I clock out? It gets to be that type of a program. And Wayne Gretzky and his family walk in. And, of course, we all jump up like, this can't be real. What's he doing in Cincinnati? If he was some event he was doing. And he comes in with his family, and I am – jumping up, I'll give you the tour, Mr. Gretzky. And the other guy behind me, I'll give you the tour, Mr. Gretzky. We're fighting, stumbling over each other like the <laughs> Charlie Chaplin flick. And we finally get to, well, we're all just going to go, and we're going to each make points on the trip. So 
You miss one hundred percent of the tours that you don't give. Oh, right? Exactly. <laughs> I need to bet on a t-shirt, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're walking through. We go to the theater. We go to this place. We go to that place. And I'm just falling over myself, telling him about. Oh yeah, well the big red machine, and then Pete Rose, and you all this Johnny Bench name dropping these guys because I don't know what he knows. You know, I don't know what his relationship is with baseball, especially the Reds. I'm assuming he's you know got the L.A. Dodgers in his mind, of course. So I'm just like, yeah, well, we did this and the championship, everything that came out of my mouth, the last word in the sense was championship. And we get to the Hall of Fame plaque room and it's the end of the tour. This was before we did the renovations to Hall of Fame. And we get to the end of the tour and he's like, I could tell that he was kind of like listening, but kind of not listening. And I say, right, Mr. Gretzky, if you look right here to your right, the 1975 trophy is right next to the 1976 trophy in the trophy room. And I'm just going on and on about championship. And he stops me and says, oh, that's great. I like these guys over here on the wall that, you know, in the background. These, these, what's this guy's name? Oh, that's Cesar Geronimo. What's this guy's name? Oh, it's Doug Flint. And he wants to talk about those little guys that nobody talks about and the moments. He doesn't care about the championships. And he says to me, baseball is great because of the moments. You don't get championships. Not every team wins the championships, but every team has players and moments that you remember. Even fans of the Pirates and the Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> they have moments that they're going to cherish forever and ever and pass down to their kids and so on and so on. And I will never forget that conversation because I walked out of there and I jumped on the tank bus and I went home and I stayed up all night thinking about, I have been giving these tours talking about championships and I'm forgetting about the 1882 team that won a championship that nobody talks about. It's the first Reds championship of the American Association. And these guys that made up the team that did McPhee never wore a glove. McPhee, yeah. We never talk about those guys. So I made a point after that Wayne Gretzky conversation to always talk about the other guys first. And yeah, there's a trophy. We've seen it a million times and we, we know what it is. But there's guys in the Reds family that made up why we're the best franchise and the best tradition in baseball. This is why. It's the stories and the people and the places and the things and the stadiums that make it what it is, which is why we are who we are. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it's it's easy when you have teams like the Big Red Machine or even the 90 team or you're the first professional team or you had the first night game. Like there's so many like monumental moments attached to the Reds that when you're giving someone a summation of the team or highlights or, you know, like a high level overview, those are going to always dominate that, you know, especially when you feel like you're educating someone. So it, of course it makes sense, but yeah, that there's so many parts of the redone museum that I just am enamored with, you know, like that baseball card display, I mean, you can literally pull out from the wall and see like every Reds baseball card from every year all the way back to the tobacco cards. I mean, it's insane. And it's just like I get lost in some of the names that mean nothing in the overall pantheon of Reds baseball, you know. But like when I see Wayne Krenchicki's name or Paul Householder or, you know, names like that, it's like that's that's what gets me excited because you see those other names, the bigger names so often that you remember like opening a pack of cards and seeing John Franco. And like, I got, I used to love John Franco because he threw left and he batted right, even though he never batted because he was (laughs) a relief pitcher. But like, that was me. I was, I throw left and I bat right. And it's the same for my son. So I always (laughs) flip the cards over 
and I'd find who that was. And it was like him, Tommy John and Ricky Henderson. <laughs> There's like, they're, they're like the three right. ones that I always remember. That's what evokes that kind of stuff from me. Not, it's not always like the Joe Morgans and the Johnny bench and the Pete roses that, Oh, you no know. question. My favorite player growing up. Uh, of course I love the Davey and I love uh, Tony and I love Joe Tracy Jones. Absolutely <laughs> was I got so nervous going to J.C. Penney at the Florence Mall with my little black and white publicity photo to get signed by him. I was sweating. It was oh, like man. I was meeting the Beatles. I was so, 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 so scared to me. Like, because you don't know when <laughs> you're 10 years old. You're like, Mr. Jones, sir, will you please? He's probably like, this guy is insane. That's it's hilarious. So I just, I, I, I still have an autographed picture in my office of Tracy Jones. Just, I went to a Reds game and I, <laughs> this is back when you could put banners on the facade of Riverfront. They used to have Banner Day, if you remember that. Yeah. And in Banner Day, I went there with my family, and I had a sign, a white sheet that I ripped off my bed that my mom was so ticked off about. <laughs> I took the white sheet, I took some red spray paint, and I spray painted, don't be left without a trace, Jones 316. And I oh stuck that gosh. bad boy up there, and I was like, I hope he sees this. I hope he sees this. <laughs> and he probably saw like, that's that weird kid of J.C. Penny. And I was like, what? So That's hilarious. I, I, for whatever reason, it was this hustle. It was just this California cool kid coming in, and he had some pop in his back. He looked so good in that white, crisp, clean uniform. I was like, "That's my guy right there." So I'm number twenty nine in Little, Little League growing up. Just and of course, it's Tracy freaking Jones. It's not Joe Morgan or Barry Larkin. I mean, right. great, great players, but I always latched onto those guys that you hoped would become a star because you could say, "I liked him before." He was a Hall of Famer. I like oh him my before gosh. he was a stud. <laughs> That's so funny. I have one of those same little pictures you're talking about of Ron Oster. Oh, my, yes. my dad got a uh, a ticket to something where he was speaking. I held on to it and got it signed afterwards. But that it's so funny you talk about it felt like you were meeting the Beatles. Yeah. That's how that's how it was with Norma Rashid from Channel <laughs> oh, Five. She came to speak at our school. And I was oh, like, oh, my God, that's, that's Nori great. Rashid from Channel 5. Oh, they, need to have a, they need to have a Netflix show or one of those streaming shows with, like, have an actor playing Norma and Jerry and then just do Channel 5, like, kind of like the Apple TV. Has yeah, Pat Berry, yeah, Ken Pat Brew. Barry, Ken Brew, Steve, <laughs> and before that, it was Steve Fiziok. I mean, yeah. just the classic. I mean, that was – and it's funny because you'll have that now with kids. I mean, there's we always watch the news at, during dinner or after dinner. And you flipped on Channel Five and you, or whatever channel you watched, and you watched from six to six thirty before the Red Game came on at seven thirty-five, and that's what you—that's what you watched, the local news. And they were personalities of their own. It was just like they were—you're right—they were superheroes. Yeah, they were for <laughs> sure. And uh, it's so funny you say that. Like I, I all the time, and and Cincy Shirts is obviously the catalyst for this. But I constantly sit around and thinking, like, could we do a new Uncle Al show? Oh. Could we could we do a new Johnny's Toys somewhere? Oh, like Johnny's like toys, like yes. all that stuff. I'm just like, would kids even care about it now? I know, you know, man. because we you. have such a love for it. But like, would like my kid would probably rather be home playing FIFA. That's and Johnny's Toys is what got me. I, and it, that, I had a conversation with somebody about this about how they're not doing toys anymore. And when you go to a Walmart or Target, there's just no toys, and the end of Toys R Us, and that that's a whole other discussion for another time. But the end of the toy era. But that's so important, I think, in development of not, you know, you talk about baseball and how you have your heroes now. It's a different game, of course. But the same way with imagination and taking your figures out and playing and making up your own stories. It's not about you becoming the next George Lucas. It's about you becoming the next great person because you are enjoying your imagination. That built you with stepping stones and building blocks 
to whatever you become in life. And toys are such a huge, huge, huge part of that. And I think we're kind of losing that now. I mean, not to be the get off, get off my lawn guy, but there is something to be said about that where you don't have those toys anymore that kids can go out. I, going to Johnny's Toys with the birthday money, $25, you might as well have given me $25,000. That's what yeah. it felt like to me because I'm buying every $2 X-Wing and Luke Skywalker Bespin outfit and Han Solo and the Tauntaun. Whatever I could get, I'm, that's what I'm doing with my birthday money. And kids don't get that opportunity. Now, of course, there's new things to do. Like you said, FIFA and video games and all of, that, of that ilk. That's fine. But I'm afraid that that stuff is just kind of digital and is snap your fingers and it's gone. Turn it off. With figures, if you went over to 45th Street in Latonia right now and took a backhoe, and dug up around the lot by Twin Oaks Golf Course, you could probably find $5 million of Star Wars toys that we buried there when we were playing and forgot about when we moved. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think uh, in this house in particular that Lego is has been the savior that is, oh, yeah. that, is that bridge of, like, yeah. kids are into it, but it also promotes, like, using your imagination and doing something constructive and not right. technology-related. They seem to have somehow still captured it. And my son, it's so funny because, obviously, I have a, a huge affinity for the three and three-quarter-inch yes. figures, right? Beats it. Yep. So I bought all the new ones, all the old ones. Like, I just got a ton of them, and I'm like, this is, you know... And he has never gotten past the, basically the like army figures, you know, like the little plastic army guys. Right. (laughs) They do the, they do those for star Wars. He is more obsessed with like a grand scale battle, right? Right. He sets, he sets up a hundred versus a hundred and that, (laughs) and he's way more into that than he is taking like a couple figures and a, and a vehicle, right? you know? Right. And I'm right now, my, my son's girlfriend's son, which is a crazy thing to have. I have to explain that to people. It's my son's girlfriend's son. He is autistic and I am currently building a star Wars room in my, in my second floor. I have an empty room and I am building it in, as Hoth because we live in an old house and it's already got that shape of kind of a, you know how an attic would look in an old house. It's kind of like that slope ceiling curvature. And I've plastered around it. And I'm like, I started plastering. I'm like, this looks like hot. Of course, my mind goes to Echo Base. I'm like, yeah. I'm making this Echo Base. So I started building bookshelves that look like an AT-AT to display the toys. So it's kind of his room when he comes to visit. And it's also my room to put all my Star Wars stuff. So it's a great excuse. But I'm building this for, for Landon. This is what I'm doing it for. <laughs> but it's actually, of course, it's for me. But, you know, that's a place where we can go and watch The Mandalorian. And we can go watch the new Obi-Wan show next year. And we can watch, you know, the Blu-rays of all the movies. But... It's, it's so funny That's to have that special place. Like, and again, not to bring it back to Star Wars, but it's that special connection that it will never go away. It'll always be there. And when I'm gone, my son will pass it on to his sons. Yeah. And, and hopefully they buy this house and keep that hall room because I'm going to be spending a ton of money in that room. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a, there's like a local Lego group. Yeah. And um, yeah. They, for a couple of years until COVID hit, they would do once a year, they would have like a, a big display. I don't know what it was called. It was like Lego con or something, you know, right, where they right. would, they would work on things for the whole year and then right. have them displayed. And one year they had Hoth oh. and it was just like, I mean, it must've been like 10 feet by, wow. by 20 feet. And it was just oh. all white and snow. And then they had multiple ad ads and it was just like, wow. like 
as a grown man, I st- I go, I wonder where I could fit that in my house. Yep, you yep. know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I, And I don't ever want to outgrow that, you know? No. The next time that, that a movie comes out, you'll have to, you'll have to come. I've been doing this event since Force Awakens. So like when the Force Awakens came out, it was the first Star Wars movie that came out since my dad had passed. So I felt like I had to have a ticket for him. So I bought a ticket for him and I printed out his picture and I put it on the seat next to me. And we had like uh, my brother-in-laws and both of their kids. And then my best friend was there. My business partner, Darren, and his son were there. And I was like, man, this was really fun to watch a Star Wars movie with friends. Yeah. Right. Right. And so when the next movie came out, I decided let's, let's see how many people we can get to go to the same showing. So we had like in Wilder, I think there was like 75 seats. We had probably 55 of them. That's so awesome. That's what I saw. It was Wilder. That's awesome. Oh, no kidding. And then, so when the next movie came out, which I think at that point was Rogue One, maybe I was like, let's, let's rent the whole theater. And I got, and I got like neighbors. I posted on Facebook, like, let's all watch this together and like create a memory. And it was like the day it came out. And so what I did is I went out and I bought Star Wars toys, like the new Rogue One figures that are in that same like retro packaging. Right. And I bought a bunch of them and I basically said, everybody gets a Star Wars toy. And that was like my tribute to my dad. And so every year we've done that since then. And then all the way up until Rise of Skywalker, we rented out the entire theater in Oakley. And then people paid, I think, I think I charged 20 bucks a ticket. Everybody got a Star Wars toy. And then I had like really cool upgraded, you know, like an autographed photo of Ray and like a, you know, a Poe X-Wing helmet. Like you could, you got a raffle ticket so you could win a better prize but then a little bit of money went to the Dragonfly Foundation. Oh, that's awesome. And so that's what I want to make the new thing when a Star Wars movie comes out. We all get together. We all watch it together. Everybody gets a toy. And that's like my way of like keeping the legacy alive, you know, that's passing awesome. it on. I, I'm definitely going to be a part of that. And I guess it'll be in 2023. Yeah. Uh, Rogue's too long. Yeah, yeah, I know. Too long. Uh, we got spoiled there for a little bit, but. Definitely. I am absolutely 100% on board with that. No question. That is so awesome. Awesome. All right, let's get back to red stuff. Yes, red. This is the Cincy Shirts podcast. But you know what? There's a lot of Star Wars people that listen to this, so it's totally (laughs) cool. P.F., if you have a specific question, I know I've been well, completely hogging this conversation. Oh, no, this is a nice break for me because I've had to run the past uh, couple of these because business has been so good. You know, the owners have been busy and uh, have, have other things to tend to. Uh, I'm looking at your YouTube page, and boy, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole later. Uh, there's some great films on here, not just regularly. But got our, uh, I started watching this, so I'm going to finish watching it when we're done here. Our Blue Socks, the story of the Covington Blue Socks. Yes, got to check that yes. out. Another one caught my eye here, Before the Bengals, Early Professional Football, and since Cincinnati. We've kind of applied the same waters. I've done some blog posts on some of the early Bengals teams and like before the AFL Bengals teams right. and stuff like that. And yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on here. Um, thank you, thank you. So how did you wind up making films? I had studied film. Uh, I, I, didn't get, I didn't go to uh, the University of Southern California Film School. I didn't get the George Lucas uh, degree in filmography. I learned by doing film films from my family we would play wiffle ball outside and i would broadcast the game and then make an edit and then we would watch it like it was our sports <laughs> center so as a kid i did that 
And that's of course, awesome. you never you never think that's going to lead to anything. So when I got the job at the Hall of Fame as the ambassador, which is what they called him back then, you know, they're trying to feel things out. They hired like 50 of us, which is way too many. I mean, to have, but you don't know. And the first opening day I worked was 2005, and it was the Joe Randa walk-off home yep. run to win the game. And I'm nicest day for a opening day ever. The weather was it's so like 80 perfect. and no humidity. I no remember. humidity. It was so beautiful, and it's my first day on the job. And we that was our first true opening. I started in 2004, but we weren't. It was the off season, so we just kind of had events there, and it wasn't the fi- official public opening game day crowd until opening day 2005. So I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't know. They didn't know where to put me. So they said, stand by the wall of Pete Rose baseballs and talk. I'm like, I, I can do that. So I go back there and I'm talking to fans. They're coming in. I got the black shirt on. I'm sweating. I'm nervous. And I'm trying. You can't watch the game. This is before we had screens in every direction where you look and you could find out or, you know, phones where you could find out what the score was. I'm listening to the crowd reaction to figure out what's going on in the game. And somebody would come report to me. Adam Dunn just hit one. Oh, great. And then I would get that information and share it with people walking through. Well, the home run happens, and I sprint out that emergency door. The alarm goes off. I'm running to go find out what happened. And I'm high-fiving strangers on the plaza level there. Uh, the fireworks are going off. That was my first day on the job. And they were, you, that's it. Like, you can't top that. Well, I continued my work there as an ambassador. Then I became education manager. But I'd always done these side films for them when they needed something for the lobby. They had those TVs mounted up by the, the water fountain. And I think actually Paul Brown Stadium still has those old TVs. I could be wrong about that. But they're the old TVs and they were they would run on VCRs tapes and DVDs were kind of new to the experience. They weren't sure how to how could they control them and we were trying to figure it out. So we went from VCR cuts to to the DVDs and it was just random reds highlights. And I, I started putting them together and I was like, I can do this. Yeah, sure, no problem. I've learned film. I took some classes in school. And then this continued. And then we need something for the uh, Tom Seavers get inducted. We need a video highlight of Tom Seavers. Okay. I put together this thing just to show in the lobby so as people are in line, they can watch this loop. Well, we're going to do an exhibit. April comes around 2006. We're going to do an exhibit on 1919. Do you think you could do a documentary for us? I'm like, boy, can I? This is the opportunity I've been waiting for. So I make a documentary on Ed Roush and the 1919 um, Reds, and it's a feature film in the, in the theater. It was, it was successful. It was amazing. People loved it. I got to take old sheet music from 1919 because I'm also a musician, so I was playing some of the sheet music that hadn't been heard since then. It was like the sheet music about, that they would play in bars in Cincinnati and on player pianos music. So I took all this, and that was part of the soundtrack. Great experience, success, and then another exhibit comes up. I do that. Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan. But the one that kind of set me to think that I could do this for a living was when I did the Crosley Field film in 2009. And I had already had some other clients. You know, you do your bar mitzvahs, you do your weddings, you do things with that that lot. But the Crosley Field film was special because the theater, people would go in and they would come out and it was an emotional thing for them because I decided to take the filmmaker approach and do something that was not your typical history of the Reds, and this is Crosby Field, and this is when it was built, I decided to use all, I had access, of course, to all the footage and all of the the pictures and photographs that I could ever imagine, I mean, at my fingertips with the Reds. So I made this film called Crosby Field Remember, and it was basically showing you what it was like to be at the park. So you would go in the theater, you watch the film, and it was no, no narration, just 
footage of outside horn talking, people going into the stadium to experience that, what it was like, kind of like it is now with the banks, how you got that crowd and, you know, the, the murmur and the excitement building, and then you'd go into the game. And I have footage of Jim Maloney pitching and Pete Rose batting. And then there would be all of these Wade Hoyt on the broadcast. I, I would cut to a photo of an old man in the Crosby Field bleachers with the radio held up to his ear. And then it would cut the Wade, and the Wade Hoyt's voice would be playing. So I kind of made this stylistic Crosby Field film, and it was so successful. I was so happy. The premiere showing, Ted Klazuski's wife was in the front row. And wow. I was so nervous because he featured prominently in the film um, his photos, his voice, you know, video. And I was worried. Like, uh, I showed a lot of him. I hope she's okay with it. Uh, I, you, know, you never know with that type of thing. And well, I, I'll say this, to, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that, that family in particular is very protective of him. Absolutely. Uh, until I think it was last year, they, they would not approve any bobblehead. Nothing. Nope, uh, right. to be made of with his likeness on it because that's just that's i'm just saying like i i understand your point because oh, yeah. that family in particular is very protective of what his legacy is absolutely 100 percent correct very private they're very very they want to make sure that if anything is told it has to be something that is going to show him in a positive light which of course it always is going to be because he's right so he's like a awesome. yeah he was like a superhero yeah such a superhero so I couldn't sit in the theater. I was too nervous for it. I walked out to the, the, where we had the box office at that time, and Chris Eckes, and at the, at the time it was Rick Walls had just started there, so it was him, and we're, I'm just rubbing my hands together, and I'm like, okay, I hope this goes well. She comes out. The door's open. They were on a timer. They swing open, and she's the first one out, and she's wiping her eyes with the Kleenex. And she, I'm like, oh my, she, she's crying. And this can't be good. She's crying. She comes up to me. She takes my hand, places her other hand on top of it, and says, Cam, thank you so much. That was so great. You brought Big Ted back to life. And oh, it was man. the greatest single moment in my film career to know that, that so she watched awesome. it and she was moved to tears. So I knew right then and there that I had something. I knew that doing this for the Reds was great, but I could also do this in other places. Of course, the Reds are my biggest client, and I've worked with, with them now for oh, 15, 16 years. It's been a great relationship, I, especially working there full-time and then getting to leave there to start Cam Miller Films and then be able to still have them as my number one client. It's a dream come true for a Reds fan, of course. But able to be able to spread out and, you know, my talent and do other things is great because I get to work with schools and charities and other events. But my passion besides that is doing these kind of, I, I don't want to say, there's historical documentaries about local things that people don't know about, like discovering the Covington Blue Sox, a 1913 federal team that nobody ever heard of that I find in a microfilm machine in the late 90s, and I make a film about it, and I show this at 2004 at the Kenton County Public Library, or, I'm sorry, 2014 at the Kenton County Public Library, and in attendance is the man that owns Dickman's, Mr. Richard Dickman. And he says, you know, Cam, I'm starting a sports bar. And he starts Smoke Justice, based upon the starting pitcher, Walter Smoke Justice, and the Covington Blue Sox down in Covington. That's how he saw my film. He said, I want to do a sports bar, and this is the perfect, this is it. Smoke Justice, what a great name. That was his nickname, the guy that pitched for Covington. And the rest is history. He's got a successful business. I'm so proud of that. And it's been such a great honor to do films like that that give people notice about things that they never would have really thought about before. I discovered a newspaper blurb. And I have access to a lot of things, being that I do work with Reds. So 
spending money, my own money and my own dime on other projects like that, that's the best I could do. I, I love that more than anything else I do. I mean, no offense to the weddings I do and the things that I'm able to do on the side, but those passion projects is what makes me get up in the morning. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I don't know. Do, do you know Terry Lukemeyer? I know the name. So Terry did the 4192 documentary and then yep, most yep, recently yep. the Marty documentary. Yep. But he's a good friend of mine and and he's the same way. He's driven by passion for oh, yeah. the Reds and the projects he loves. And then he uses like his quote unquote corporate work to, right. you know, to pay, keep the lights on. That's and it. I mean, I think we all can have an appreciation for that of like, you make your money over here so you can do what you want. Over exactly. Here. And I'm just so thankful that I get to do what I do for the Reds. Like we just had the Marty, you know, induction uh, at the Hall of Fame and the work on that. I, I thought I was done with it. And it turned out that we needed some audio clips because we tried to get audio clips of Marty for every single player that came up with that Legends game. So if when you came to the plate, there was going to be the picture of, you know, the video clip that I made on the scoreboard. And then there was going to be a Marty call. Now, some of them are really hard to find to find because sometimes you'd find a great Joe call. It's like, oh, Joe just called a, a, a Brett Boone home run. That's so great. But we we're trying to use Marty. So that but we're up until midnight, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, the day before the induction, trying to put this together for the scoreboard. It was so much fun. I mean, it was at work. Of course it was. But to be able to do that, I mean, and get paid for it. It's the greatest gift that I could ever have. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So what um, you obviously have a, an intimate knowledge of a lot of the, I don't want to say less popular, but lesser known stories from within the Reds history and Hall of Fame. What is on your short list of like stories that you think more people need to hear? Or, you know, if you had your, you know, your pick of what to do next, what, what, what's at the top of that list? We, we probably have a notebook at the Hall of Fame right now that every time I call Rick Walls or Chris Eckes, I'm like, okay, here's our next project. Of course, it's never going to be the next one. It's always going to be something else comes up. We've got so many on the back burner that we're just trying to find the right time to do. I could probably tell you we have 10, 15 films right now that are kind of, quote unquote, on the back burner that I've kind of started and built and got the script ready and kind of getting the photos. Fred Hutchinson and his battle with cancer and that story. Not a lot of people know about that. The grounds crew, you know, how, how they really created so many of the things you see today is because of the Reds history and grounds crew and how at Crosley Field, Redland, and all back House of Fans, their story, the Matty Schwab, I mean, who is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, not many people know how he developed so many great things in baseball. This, I mean, he's the one that, the reason we have scoreboards today is because of Matty Schwab. I mean, scoreboards are crazy today. Uh, back then, he built the first scoreboards. I mean, he was him. And he went on to do work for the Dodgers, New York Giants. His son went on to do it. So there's these little stories like that that we have. There's so many of them. I actually wrote a play that we were going to do at, in the theater. Um, but the problem is, is that, with, of course, with COVID, things got kind of pushed back and things kind of got rearranged. But it's a, gen, it's, a, it's a fictional tale of generations of fans. So it starts with 1869 family going to a game, you know, and then passes it down to the 1882 and then 1919 and 1940 and, and so on and so on, Big Red to now. And the last bit in the play is Joey Votto hit a home run. So it's like that story of uh, a father and a son and then a daughter and a father, you know, goes down the list. So that's something that we're working on. There's just so many things that I don't know if we'll ever get to them all. So when I'm gone and somebody finds my notebook here, I hope they take the baton and they run with it because there's just so many stories that we hope to tell. That's awesome. 
Well, I uh, can't wait to dive into this whole uh, YouTube channel of yours. Well, folks. thank Just you. Go, just go to YouTube. so many, so, so many little short films that I've yeah. done. And I've been blessed to win a few awards. I mean, I can't, I, I, it's one of those things where you do something and you don't know. You put it on YouTube as Candler Films and people kind of know me from my Reds work. But when I did the old Latonia racetracks, I'm sorry about the Latonia racetrack over in Latonia, Kentucky, and I went to show the film and they said, do you mind showing this at the Rosedale Manor Old Folks Home? I'm like, why would I have a premiere <laughs> at the Rosedale Manor Old Folks Home? But once I got there and saw that the people there seeing it in the front row were all people that either knew of the track in the 1930s or had family that knew it and told stories. It was the perfect place. What other place would you go? So I had the premiere there and it was so, so, so well done. And at the end of it, the mayor walks out and hands me a proclamation. And then she named that day Cam Miller Day. Now, for somebody that was born and raised in Covington, Kentucky, and to have the mayor walk out after one of my little films that I did in my home office and proclaim that day Cam Miller Day. And my parents were able to be there in the in the audience to watch it. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, I cannot believe that I'm so blessed and lucky to to be able to do this. And again, another film that I just happened to discover the story and knew of kind of the history of it and build a film around it to make it a 25 minute thing so they can show it on the public access television in Kenton, Campbell and counties. And to have it have that recognition, it's like it's worth it just because somebody in that audience came away from that and learned something. And that's why I do what I do. So one person can walk out and say, I did not know that. And then they can tell somebody else, and they can tell somebody else, and it just goes throughout time. Yeah, that's what I like to do with our blog is kind of find those stories that people don't or find yes. something about, you know, people probably know the story, but don't, maybe they don't know some, some details. And right. uh, if you go right. to YouTube, it's Cam Miller Films, folks, and there's lots of good stuff on there. Like I said, I'm going to be uh, going down the rabbit hole as soon as we wrap this up. <laughs> I'm anxious to watch the Blue Sox movie and the before the Bengals, really professional football in Cincinnati, and just, oh, tons, tons more. Yes. And what's, uh, what other social media platforms are you active on? Oh, Facebook, Camler Films. Just type in Camler Films on Google and every Instagram. I'm not on TikTok yet, but that may change. I may have to start doing some TikTok videos because I hear that's all the rage. So maybe we can do a, a, a TikTok building of Echo Base at <laughs> Chateau de Miller. Um, and then, then I could be a TikTok star, make a bunch of money, and then make any film I want to make. And then we can, and then Josh, me, you, and I can make the next Star Wars movie together. I'm in. Uh, dude, yes, <laughs> I'm in. We need some. We need some like uh, self-produced fan fiction. Yes, that we just create here locally. Love it. Expanded Love universe. It. Yes. All right, dude. I'm in. Man, this has been so much fun. I feel like we haven't even <laughs> scratched the surface. Yes. Yeah, we got. We have to do this again. Absolutely, anytime. Very cool. Well, uh, do you want to? PF, do you want to ask him about the coupon code? Yes. At the end of every episode, we let the guest choose the coupon code that they can use at uh, CincyShirts.com or our sister site, OldSchoolShirts.com, or in either of the uh, brick-and-mortar stores, Hyde Park and Over the Rhine. You get to choose it. The code is good for the next week until the next episode drops. Uh, it'll be good for 20% off. So it can be a, a single word. It can be a short couple-word phrase. What would you like that coupon code to be, Cam Miller? This just formed in my head because I just recently read this. The first African-American Cincinnati Bengal passed away of COVID uh, last year, and I did not know it until last night. He was the first one drafted in 1968, and we don't really talk about him. There's no monument. There's, no, there's, there's nothing on the website about it. It's kind of one of those things that just kind of fades into time because it's the late 60s, and people really don't really think about it like they do Jackie Robinson or Chuck Harmon. But his name was 
Andre White, A-N-D-R-E White, W-H-I-T-E. So let's make it that in his okay, honor. The great. first African-American Cincinnati Bengal who just passed away from COVID last year. Uh, a legend that needs more recognition. All right. Perfect. I like, I like that. The first white Cincinnati Bengal. The, uh, how can we phrase it? There's a word play there for sure. <laughs> Something there. there we'll work to. on it. Absolutely. <laughs> We'll try to top that. All right. Great. <laughs> All um, right. Hey, man, thank you for your time. No trouble. Thank you and, very much, uh, guys. And by the way, let me just say this before we go. You guys are absolutely awesome. What you do for the city of Cincinnati, every single city in America, big market, small market, needs a Cincy shirt. Well, we're working um, on that, actually. I love you. it. I love it. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Yes. And and obviously, uh, a plug for the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum. because. Yes. What what a treasure that uh, I don't think enough people talk about or experience because I can tell you for a fact it is the nicest single team Hall of Fame in all of Major League Baseball, maybe in all of uh, professional sports. The, the renovations that they did last year are absolutely incredible and I cannot recommend enough that whether you're coming down for a Reds game or just in the area, if they're open, check out the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum because the people that work there and the stuff that's inside, I mean, it's just uh, unparalleled. Well, on behalf of P.F. Wilson, our amazing producer, Mr. Do-It-All, who holds down the fort when we get a little too busy, and our guest, Cam Miller, be sure to check him out. I'm Josh Sneed saying thank you for listening to the Cincy Shirts podcast. We will see you next week. I met him in a swamp down in Dagobah where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. S-O-D-A soda. I saw the little wren sitting there on a log. I asked him his name and in a raspy voice he said Yoda. Y-O-D-A Yoda. Yo, 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 yo. Cam Miller, pretty sure we used the other Weird Al Star Wars song as a playout song a while back. Uh, this, of course, a parody of the Kinks' very great song, Lola. And boy, you know, it's weird. In the world of comedy, parody songs aren't really viewed with a lot of respect. However, everybody loves Weird Al, and rightly so. He's one of the nicest guys on the whole planet. I know people that know him, and I got to do an interview with him once where it was a conference interview, so a bunch of us reporters all teleconferenced in, and I got to ask him one question. But nice, nice man. A very funny man. Very great tunes. Cam Miller also has some a very great work out there. Please check out his YouTube channel. I'm uh, watching the Covington, Red, uh, the Covington Blue Sox documentary right now. It's only 30 minutes. Won't take up too much of your time. What's really neat about it, it goes into a lot of really cool detail. It shows drawings of the ballpark and where it fit into Covington. It was on Scott Street between 2nd and 4th. I can't remember what the other border street is, but it shows you right where the ballpark is. There's detailed drawings of it. It's uh, it's really cool stuff, so do check out all of Cam's stuff. Just follow him on Twitter, Cam Miller, Facebook as well. you get all the Cam, in, Cam and Miller info that you need. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the show, simply email podcast at cincyshirts.com. Put podcast guest on the subject line. Tell us about the person you think should be on the show and why you think they'd be a good guest. Um, my friend Kim is the one that recommended Cam Miller. Uh, she, didn't, she just reached out to me, of course. She didn't go through 
through the info at Cincy Shirts, but you can do that, info at podcast, or podcast at cincyshirts.com to tell us your guest suggestion, and either way, we'll put it all together. You can even recommend yourself if you if you like, uh, is why you might be a good guest for the show. And now be sure to tell friends and loved ones about this show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. As always, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They're from Philadelphia. Find their music on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. You know, Cam said at the end of the interview, every town needs a, a company like Cincy Shirts. And, well, we're working on it. We've got 32 cities in there now, so do check it out. So if you're from somewhere else or if you have friends and relatives in other cities and you want to buy them gifts uh, that you would buy at Cincy Shirts but you want to be specific for their town, why, check out old school shirts, old defunct malls, old sports teams, restaurants, TV personalities, all that kind of stuff. Do check it out, and you can use the uh, the podcast promo code here, which this week is Andre White. Andre White, the first African-American player drafted by the Bengals in 1968, and I guess what would have been either the expansion draft or the college draft they had two that year because they were a brand-new team. But, uh, yeah, use Andre White, all one word, A-N-D-R-E-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, you can do that all uppercase, all lowercase. That part doesn't matter. But uh, use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com order or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Or come into the Cincy Shirts stores in Over the Rhine and Hyde Park and say, Hey, I'd like to use the podcast code to take 20% off my order and they'll help you out. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye